the best dividend-paying company that you need to buy. As a value investor, I'm always careful with recommending a specific stock or company that you need to buy shares in. Because if you think about it, a company might perform well today, but that doesn't mean that the company will perform well in the future. However, with the stock that I'm going to talk about today, this is a monthly dividend-paying stock. They even have a cool goal. Their goal is to deliver dependable monthly dividends that increase over time. That's exactly what I want as a value investor from a dividend-paying company. I would add one more thing to their goal. They need to be able to deliver monthly dividends that increase over time, but that increase needs to be faster than inflation. Luckily for you and me, this company is able to increase their dividends faster than inflation year over year, or they're able to keep up and keep pace with inflation. So I'm going to go ahead and reveal the company, and then we'll go into the specifics. The company that I'm talking about is Realty Income. This company can also be found on the stock market under the ticker symbol O. Realty Income is a company that buys commercial properties and then leases it to big-name tenants. Tenants such as Walmart, CVS, Walgreens, Taco Bell. Realty Income is a REIT, also standing for Real Estate Investment Trust. Realty Income operates in the U.S. primarily, but they also operate overseas in Europe, in Spain, and the U.K. Realty Income was founded by William and Joan Clark back in 1969. And then the company went public in 1994. Now, the interesting thing about Realty Income is their business model. Because from the start, Joan and William wanted to create a business that provided stable and dependable income for their shareholders. And they've been able to achieve this because Realty Income has been on the stock market since 1994. And then even if you look at these tenants that they lease to, these are highly dependable tenants because even in an economic downturn, tenants such as the dollar stores, even the Walmarts, they're still able to pay their lease. And Realty Income makes sure to create lease contracts for at least 10 years, sometimes more, sometimes less, but 10 years is what they shoot for. And even if you're overseas and you go to a grocery store like Carrefour, more than likely Realty Income owns the property and is leasing it to Carrefour. And that's what I like so much about Realty Income because the dependable monthly dividends directly come from the dependable tenants. If you think about a grocery store, you still have to go and get your essentials, even in an economic downturn. You still have to go to the grocery store and get your groceries. So some of these grocery stores have a lease contract with Realty Income. That's where your monthly dividends are coming from. And a big benefit of Realty Income is passive income. So the monthly dividend that they pay out, you can start using that as passive income. Most companies in the U.S. pay a quarterly dividend, but with Realty Income being a monthly dividend-paying company, you can start using that as your passive income. There are friends that I talk to, and particularly one friend that works in the IT field. He wants to get into making more passive income. So he's making earned income in the IT field, and he's making a good salary. He wants to transition slowly into making some passive income also. And we've looked at and talked about different ways of making passive income with book publishing, creating his own YouTube channel, etc., etc. But I keep telling him that investing in dividend-paying companies, that's the easiest way to start building your passive income. And with Realty Income paying a monthly dividend, that's a great way to start your passive income journey. And then even if you look at the dividend payments from Realty Income, they've been able to increase their dividends 114 times. 
They've been paying a dividend since 1994. And when I checked, I haven't seen a dividend decrease since 1999. So that's over 20 years of dividend payments. Consistency, dependability, that's the type of company that I like. Because you invest in the company once and you reap the benefits. And of course, it allows you to sleep well at night. Because even if overall the stock market isn't performing well, you can still hold on to your realty income shares and still get that dividend. Because most companies in the U.S. pay a quarterly dividend. So every three months, you see a dividend payment being deposited in your account. And then if you look at companies overseas, it's not that consistent depending on the company when they pay out a dividend. Also, they might not even grow their dividends faster than inflation. That's why with the monthly dividend paying company, you're in good hands. And then also for my portfolio, I use realty income as my foundation because I'm getting that monthly passive income. And then any additional dividend stocks that I buy are sitting on top of my foundation as an addition. So what it will look like is that whenever realty income increases their dividends, it increases my overall foundation and then the other dividend payments sit on top. If you look at your dividend payments month by month, you'll see it's up and down because different companies pay their dividends at different times. But with Realty Income being the stable monthly dividend paying company, that's why I use them as my foundation. And I've been invested in Realty Income for a couple of years now. So I've been getting my monthly dividends for a few years now on time every single month around the middle of the month. And I've been adding and buying some additional shares. And then when I get my dividend, I either reinvest it into buying more shares in Realty Income or I take that dividend and I invest in other dividend paying companies. Which is why I said that Realty Income is a good company to look at when it comes to investing for dividends. Because the dividends that you do make and the dividends that you do get on a monthly basis from Realty Income, you can just take those dividends and reinvest it in different companies. So you'll be able to slowly get rich and slowly build your wealth. Another thing that I like about Realty Income is their corporate responsibility. Now, with any company that I invest in, as a value investor, I like to look at a company that generates a healthy amount of net income that they can grow year over year. Because if they can do that, more than likely, they're also going to be able to increase the dividends that they pay out to shareholders year over year. I also like to look at a company's business model and like to see what type of business this company is engaged in. Because there might be some business models that you don't agree with. There might be specific companies that you don't like to invest in or specific industries. So for example, let's say you're against CBD or you're against for-profit prison systems or you're against companies that produce weapons. Luckily for us, Realty Income has a safe and stable business model. And then also the Realty Income Management team has been doing a great job of managing the business, but then also growing the company by expanding overseas, like I mentioned, in Spain and then even in the UK. I'm pretty sure that they're also looking at other countries to expand into because currently they have close to 12,000 commercial properties that they own. Since they've been in the business since 1969, they've been able to develop a plan and a system that's pretty much just plug and play. So they know what to look for. They know how to analyze specific properties, specific locations, and all they have to do is plug their system in a specific location. And we're going to benefit from it because we're going to receive that dividend. If you're looking to buy shares in Realty Income or any other dividend paying company, make sure that you're buying them when it makes financial sense. You don't want to buy a stock when it's too expensive. 
One trick that I use is the P-E ratio, the price divided by the earnings ratio, in order to tell if a stock is selling at a discount or selling too expensive. Usually what I'm looking for is a stock with a P-E ratio below 15. However, with a real estate investment trust, a REIT, such as Realty Income, you cannot use the P-E ratio. What you need to do is you need to take the E, which is the earnings, and substitute that with the FFO, the funds from operations. The funds from operations measures the performance of your real estate investment trust. What you need to do is you take the P, divided by the AFFO, which is the adjusted funds from operations, and that's going to tell you if your company is selling at a discount or not. So I'm looking at the AFFO from the annual report that Realty Income gave. And in 2021, it was at $3.59. Currently, the stock is trading at around $64. Now, $64 divided by $3.59 is $17.8. So I like to see that below $15, but $17 to $18, that's a good ratio also. And Realty Income has been the game changer in You hear a lot about supply chains these days, because if the past couple years have taught us anything, it's that an efficient, well-managed supply chain is absolutely critical to keeping businesses successful and consumers happy. I'm Will Haywood, and I host a podcast called All Business, No Boundaries, where we talk about supply chains, how they work, what happens when they don't, and the innovations that are redefining what's possible in the world of logistics. Join me for insightful interviews with thought leaders and industry experts. We discuss how optimizing supply chains can break down the barriers that are holding businesses back. That's All Business, No Boundaries by DHL Supply Chain. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. My dividend portfolio. It provides stability. It's consistent. Even in an economic downturn, I'm still getting my dividend payments. Meanwhile, other companies cut or even stop paying a dividend. And then also is the one that I use to start making passive income. The one that I can reliably tell my friends to start investing in. That's why Realty Income is the number one dividend paying stock that you need to have in your investment portfolio. Now, if you've already invested in index funds, mutual funds, and ETFs, which gives you that immediate diversification, but you still want to invest in individual companies, then Realty Income is the first one that you need to pay attention to, have on your watch list, and start investing in. Let's talk about how I pick my stocks. Now, I look at specific metrics when I'm deciding to purchase a company or even purchase stocks and shares in a company. And when I look at my portfolio, I have about 23 dividend-paying stocks in my portfolio. Now, the metrics that I look at work for both dividend-paying stocks and growth stocks. But one thing that I always pay attention to is even though I'm buying individual companies, I make sure that I'm well diversified into different sectors. Because if you buy an index fund or an ETF, you have the benefit of being automatically diversified. But when you buy individual stocks, that's something that you have to remember. With the stocks in my dividend portfolio, I've received 94 dividend payments year to date. That's about eight and a half payments per month. And also, I have more shares in specific dividend-paying companies because these companies spit out more dividends that I can use to purchase other dividend-paying companies, which is pretty much a snowball effect 
of me receiving dividends and then reinvesting those dividends into other dividend paying companies. The act of analyzing a company's performance and metrics in order to decide if you want to add it to your investment portfolio is called fundamental analysis. Fundamental analysis can be done high level or more detailed. When I talk about detailed, I'm talking about you actually opening up annual reports, a couple of them, and then analyzing the numbers and try to figure out how the company is performing. I like to keep it high level by looking at specific metrics. Those high level metrics, I call that the company's report card. Let's say you have two kids. You have a son and a daughter. Both of them bring their report card to you. You look at your son's report card. He has all A's and all B's. And then you look at your daughter's report card. She has a couple of A's, a couple of D's, and a couple of F's. Now, that's quite concerning because if you look at your son's report card for math, history, biology, he has all A's. But then when you look at your daughter's report card, she has an F for biology. She has a D for math. So now you have to do some additional digging to try to figure out why she has these bad grades. That's also how I look at analyzing companies. I use my high-level metrics to quickly analyze the company to see if the company is doing well or not. And then if a company is not doing too well, that's when I dive deeper into the metrics to try to figure out what's actually going on with the company. Is it something that's happening industry-wise or is it something that's specifically happening to that company? And then the first thing that I look at, even before I look at any of the performance metrics, when it comes to a company that I want to invest in, I try to figure out what the company does. If I know what the company does, I'm able to explain it to somebody. That's already the first step because I don't like to invest in companies that I have no clue what their business model is or their business practices. If you can explain what a company does to a little kid, not only can you explain it to them, but it's also something that you can explain to yourself and something that you understand yourself. Because if you cannot explain what a company does to a little kid, not only will he or she not know, but you have no idea what you're investing in. Because when it comes to investing your money, you wanna make sure that you're investing your hard-earned money in a company that you are able to trust and it's a reliable and stable company also. So for example, if I take a company like Chipotle, it's easy to explain to even a kid what Chipotle does because all you have to do is you drive up to a Chipotle, you bring your kid in and you show them, okay, this is what Chipotle does. They sell tacos, burritos, burrito bowls, and even taco salads to customers. That's how the company makes money. If you take a company like Pepsi or Coca-Cola, that's an easy business model to explain also. Because Pepsi produces beverage drinks. They do more than beverage drinks, but they're known for their beverage drinks. And they sell it through different distribution channels. So you take your kid to a Walmart, to any local grocery store, and you can show them, okay, this is the Pepsi that we talked about. And this is one of the distribution channels that they sell their products through. And see how easy it is to explain these business models. One thing you can also do is open up a company's annual report and then go to the business section, which explains what the company does. The next thing that I look at is if the company has a sustainable long-term competitive advantage. Warren Buffett also calls this a moat. A company that has a competitive advantage over its competition has a product or service that they can sell and then also increase the price on, and they will not lose market share. So for example, let's say you want to go to a fast food place and you want a burger. You want a Big Mac. There's only one place that you can go to to get a Big Mac, which is McDonald's, of course. Or you want a Whopper. There's only one place that you can go to, which is going to be Burger King, if you want to get a Whopper. 
Another example, if you grew up using a specific product your whole life, more than likely you're going to favor using that product, even if your parents or your grandparents use that product. Think about a product such as Colgate or Clorox. If you grew up with these products, more than likely you will continue using these products because that's the competitive advantage that this product has. Some companies have what I call cash cows. These are products that a company produces and they never have to change the product over the years. So they can sell the exact same product for years and decades without even changing the product. They still have a loyal fan base. If you think about a product like Coca-Cola or Pepsi, the opposite of a competitive advantage is a product that's a commodity. So think about sugar or chicken or cement. Because there's no competitive advantage with these products, usually what companies try to do is lower the price and then get into a price war with the competition. Whenever a company has to lower its price just to stay competitive with the competition, that's not a good business model in order to grow your sales and your income. Meanwhile, a company that has a competitive advantage can increase the price on their products and their loyal customers will still go ahead and buy their products. Now, digging into the actual numbers, one thing that I always pay attention to is consistency. So I'm not going to look at the last year's performance. I want to see five to 10 years of performance and how the company is trending. So the first thing that I take a look at when I look at the numbers is the total revenue a company generates and the net income. What I'm looking for is a consistent uptrend with the revenue growing three to 5% each year. If you look at the graph of a company's total revenue, it's not going to be a straight line up. It's going to go up, it's going to go down. It might dip down a lot more, but the trend should be in an upwards trend. And then when I look at the net income, I'm also making sure that the net income is also increasing, just like how the total revenue is increasing. If a company is able to increase its total revenue, but they're not able to increase its net income, that means that the management team is not doing a good job of managing the company and making sure that they're not overspending. If a company's revenue is not able to grow, but you do see a company's net income grow, that means that the company is trying everything to do to cut costs, which is also not a good thing. So like I said, total revenue needs to be an upward trend, and then also net income also needs to be an upward trend. And of course, a company is able to increase its revenue by selling more products or services, being able to expand into new markets, introducing new products to the customer base that they have, and then also when they raise the price of their products. That's why it's important for a company to have a competitive advantage. A quick way that I can tell how well management is performing in a company that I want to purchase is by looking at the profit margin. The profit margin is when you take the net income and you divide it by the total revenue. What I'm looking for, of course, is consistency over the years. I like to see my profit margins be in the double digits, so 10% or more year over year. If the profit margin grows higher than 10%, even better. The profit margin pretty much tells me how well management is performing on a day-to-day -day basis in order to keep the cost down, but still keep their sales and revenue high. The next metric that I look at is the return on equity metric. Now, the return on equity pretty much shows me how well a company is able to produce income based on its shareholders' equity. So in order to calculate the return on equity, let's look at an example. Let's say you have $20,000 to invest and you invest $10,000 in company A and $10,000 into company B. Now, after about a year, company A 
is able to generate $1,000 based on the $10,000 of equity that you put into the company. Company B is able to generate $3,000 based on the $10,000 that you invested in the company. The return on equity for company A is 10%, 1,000 divided by 10,000. Now, the return on equity for company B is 30%, 3,000 divided by 10,000. Now, both companies decide to pay out 50% of their net income as a dividend. So company A, take that 1,000, 50% of that 1,000 is 500, and then company B, 50% of the 3,000 is 1,500. The remaining earnings are put back into the company also called retained earnings. Now, just looking at this example, you can already see that the $10,000 that you invested in both companies, you're more than likely gonna invest more money into company B because company B is able to generate more income based on your equity. Now, besides the return on equity, another metric that I look at also is the return on invested capital. Some companies manipulate the return on equity metrics. With the return on invested capital, you take the net income minus the dividends divided by the total capital. Now, the next metric that I look at is how much debt a company has. Because the way a company handles debt is going to be a little bit different than the way you and myself handle debt. Because companies usually use debt in order to expand their business practices. But when it comes to the debt metric, I like to use the debt to equity ratio. The debt-to-equity ratio shows me how much total liabilities a company has compared to the shareholder's equity. I like to see this number below 1, but every industry is going to be a little bit different. Another quick calculation that I like to do is I like to take the company's total liabilities and then divide it by the income that the company generates before taxes. Pretty much what I'm doing here is I'm trying to figure out how fast can a company pay off its total liabilities, its debt, with the income that it generates. What I'm looking for is five years or less. So if anything bad would happen with the economy, how fast could this company pay down its debt? Now, the next metric that I look at is if the company is buying back its shares. The reason why this is important is because if a company buys back its shares, it increases your ownership in the company, you don't have to pay taxes on it, and it also increases the earnings. Let's look at an example. Let's say a company only has 10 shares on the market and you own one of those shares. You own 10% of the company, one divided by 10. Let's say the company ended up deciding buying five of those shares and retiring them. Now there are only five shares left. You still own one share in the company, but now your 10% of ownership just increased to 20%. One divided by five, 20%. And here's the interesting thing, because even though your ownership went from 10 to 20%, you did not have to do anything for it. And also, you didn't have to pay any taxes on your increase in ownership. However, if you sold your shares or even if you got dividends, then you will have to pay taxes. And then also the third benefit is that if a company buys back its shares, that also means that the earnings per share more than likely is going to increase. So for example, if a company generates a million in net income and has a million shares outstanding, the earnings per share is $1. 1 million in net income divided by 1 million shares outstanding is $1. But if the company decides to buy back 500,000 shares and there's only 500,000 left, now the earnings per share just increased to $2. Because now you have a million in net income divided by 500,000 shares is $2 in earnings per share. And any company that is able to increase its earnings per share more than likely is also going to see an increase in the price of the stock itself. 
because a company that's able to increase its earnings is also a company that's worth more. So those are the main metrics that I look at. And these work well for growth stocks and dividend paying stocks. But when it comes to dividend paying stocks, there are some additional metrics that I look at. The first one is the dividend growth rate. What I'm looking for is a company that can increase its dividend year over year, but they need to be able to increase it faster than inflation. So if inflation on average is 3%, I like to see a company that's able to increase its dividend year over year by at least 4%. And there are many companies that can do this. One thing that I always do is I look at at least 10 years of dividend increases. And even better, if there was any economic downturn, I definitely pay attention to those years and what the company has done when it comes to their dividend payment. Because some companies end up decreasing their dividend payments or even stopping their dividend payments in an economic downturn. For example, companies like GE or even Disney. So that's why I'm always making sure that I'm looking at a longer period of 10 plus years to see if this company was able to pay an increasing dividend faster than inflation. The next dividend metric that I look at is the dividend yield. The dividend yield pretty much tells you how much dividend are you getting based on how much you paid for the stock. So you're taking the dividend divided by the stock price. Let's say a stock is priced at $10 on the stock market and the dividend that they pay out for the whole year is $1, then your dividend yield is 10%. Most people would want to see high dividend yields, but you always have to be careful because something that you might notice is that companies that have a high dividend yield usually have a lower dividend growth rate. And then some companies that have a low dividend yield usually have a high dividend growth rate. Which one should you choose? It depends. I like to do a little bit of both because with a company that has a high dividend yield, what that pretty much tells you is that upfront, you're going to get more dividend for what you pay to get the stock. But the growth might not be that fast. It might not even be faster than inflation. Also, you have to be careful with stocks that have a high dividend yield past 5% because it could mean that the price of the stock is down. Because think about it. If the price comes down, the dividend yield goes up. Usually, if the price of a stock comes down, that means that you need to do some additional investigation to see why the price of the stock is down. It could be something that happened with the company. It could be industry-wide. It could be an economic change. That's something that you need to further investigate. Another good thing is you can look at the dividend yield historically to decide if this is just a blip in the road or if this is a concern that you need to pay attention to. And then the last dividend metric that I look at is the payout ratio. The payout ratio pretty much tells you how much dividend is a company paying out of the earnings per share, also called the net income. So what I'm usually looking for is a payout ratio of 40% or less. Every industry is going to be a little bit different. So for example, if a company has a 50% payout ratio, so they generated $2 in earnings per share, they would pay out a dollar in dividend income. There is a problem with companies that have a consistently high payout ratio because keep in mind, the dividend comes out of the net income. So if a company's payout ratio is too high and there might be an economic downturn and their net income takes a dip, more than likely, the dividend is also going to get cut or even canceled. Some companies also end up deciding to pay a dividend with their debt just to keep their shareholders happy and keep the dividend going. That's not a situation that I like to see for a company. Now, why do I go through the hassle of analyzing companies, 
making sure that they hit their report card metrics, and then adding them to a watch list. The reason why I do it is because it's fun to me. I like to create my passive income using various methods. And one of those methods is to make dividend income. It's something that I like to do by analyzing these companies, of course. And then once I buy these companies, I just have to hold on to them and then reap the benefits of all my work by looking at the dividend income that I get. Now, if you enjoy my content on stock market investing, then be sure to follow my podcast and check out my show notes below for exclusive premium content that will take your investing to the next level. In the show notes, I also link to my books, my Instagram so you can follow me, and my YouTube channel. I'll catch you in the next episode.